Yeah, so I think the federal budget that came out this week, you know, has underlined really why we need to kick out Morrison. Um, and, you know, every trade unionist and um, anti-racist, anti-sexist, climate activist, basically um, progressive people in general, they're going to, or we're going to celebrate um, if, if Scott Morrison and the Liberals are kicked out in this year's election, which is probably less than two months away or something like that, sometime in May. But it's going to be another one of those elections where people are voting against the Liberals and not so much for the Labor opposition. Um, because Labor under Anthony Albanese is trying to minimise its differences with the coalition, with only um, a few exceptions, um, like you know, Labor's commitments to uh, give permanent protection to refugees on temporary visas, or um, you know, they're also saying they'll rely less on uh, outsourced consultants in the public sector. Um, but on the big political issues, there's very little difference between Liberal and Labor. So Labor is going along with Morrison's sabre-rattling over, over Russia and China and um, supporting, you know, the um, you know, billions of dollars being spent on, on the military. It failed to challenge uh, Morrison's uh, transphobia over the religious discrimination bill. And Labor has also signed up to the gas-fired recovery that, that Morrison is, is pushing for that's, you know, going to wreck the climate and destroy Aboriginal land. And I think Labor is doing this basically because they think that's how they are going to win the election. Labor's basically in, concluded from the last election in 2019 that Bill Shorten lost, that the reason he lost was because they had too many <clears throat> ambitious policies and were a big target for the Liberals who were able to scare people into uh, voting them back in. So Labor has dropped policies like winding back tax tax concessions that allow investors to drive up house prices, um, like negative gearing. I saw recently that um, it looks like, I, haven't, I don't know if they've changed this, but it looks like they're going to drop the commitment they took to the 2019 election to pay superannuation on government paid parental leave, which would have reduced the gender superannuation gap. There are probably lots of others that people can sort of talk about. but. Basically, Albanese is, is desperate to show the ruling class and what he believes to be a conservative um, electorate that Labor is responsible and can be trusted as the alternative government. Um, but the problem with this small target um, strategy, as, as it's known, is that it basically gives voters very little to, to vote for, um, apart from wanting to see the, the back of Morrison. And although Morrison is looking vulnerable, there's no guarantee this will lead to election victory for Labor. Um, because unless Albanese can um, convince workers that their lives will improve under a Labor government, you know, there's just a risk that people will just um, choose to stick with Morrison. And I think if, if we look at some of the, you know, some, some recent history, I think that was the lesson from the 2001 election. Um, because Labor under Kim Beasley at the time similarly kind of thought it could cruise to victory on the back of hatred um, of the Liberals' privatisation of public services, um, the introduction of the GST. Even though Kim Beasley agreed with most of what um, Howard stood for in terms of you know the free market. Um, so, for example, in his budget reply speech, in 2000, Beasley said, we all now large, largely agree on the need for fiscal discipline 
an independent monetary policy, deregulation of financial markets, the floating of the dollar, low inflation, and a more open economy. So Beasley committed to retaining the Howard um, government's enormous subsidies for private health insurance and private schools. Um, and you know, it looked like it might that that strategy, that small target strategy, might have worked um, because Labor was leading in the polls until the Tampa crisis, the September 11 terrorist attacks, and the invasion of Afghanistan just totally, um, totally shifted the focus uh, around what the key political issues were. Um, so, and, and similar in some ways to now. Um, and in order not to stand out um, and, and differentiate itself, Labor responded to those events basically by backing Howard um, un almost uncritically. So from 1999, racism against refugees was a defining feature of the Howard government. And, you know, it was really scapegoating, you know, Aboriginal people, refugees, using racism to distract people mm -hmm. from his very unpopular um, you know, free market policies like the, the GST and, and privatisation of Telstra, things like that. But in August 2001, when Howard sent the SAS to hijack the Tampa to stop refugees reaching Australia, Beasley backed Howard so Labor could not be accused of being soft on border protection. Um, and then following the <clears throat> September 11 attacks on the Twin Towers, Beasley joined Howard in uncritically defending the United States and its foreign policy. Beasley described his position as, um, this is a quote, clear-cut support for Tony Blair and for George Bush and the struggle against terrorism. And then when Australia sent troops to invade Afghanistan in October 2001, Beasley announced that he stood shoulder to shoulder with Howard. And, you know, that, that, that approach basically meant <clears throat> voters saw little difference between uh, Howard and Beasley. And what, what happened in, in the November election of 2001 was that Labor lost, um, scoring its lowest primary vote since the 1930s. And, and I suppose a particularly worrying part of that, that era was that the bipartisanship with the Liberals meant that Pauline Hanson's One Nation won some workers' votes, uh, you know, because Labor had, had failed to represent their class interests. And I suppose more positively on the left, um, the Greens uh, got a breakthrough after the 2001 election, you know, winning over progressive voters, um, you know, disillusioned Labor voters who were disgusted with Labor's capitulations on, on, on refugees and war. But I think we can, we can contrast that with the popularity of the, the British Labor Party during the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn as a way to, to argue that, you know, ambitious policies can be popular, left-wing policies. Um, so in, in the UK, the Labor Party <clears throat> had gone through a similar period of, you know, rightward drift, drift under um, Tony Blair, but it continued in, in under subsequent leaders and basically discussed at Blair's neoliberalism and the invasion of Iraq led to a, a huge loss of, yeah. of Labor members and votes. Um, but, you know, this, this electoral decline was, was reversed when Corbyn... Uh, became party leader and, and he was you know described himself as a socialist and was was a long long time uh, anti-war activist and um, you know hundreds of thousands of new members joined um, following you know during his leadership and at the 2017 election Labor won a nine and a half percent swing uh, pushing Theresa May's Tories into minority government.
and basically, you know, it's almost almost the opposite of a, a small target. Um, you know, um, Corbyn campaigned on policies that really offered an alternative to working class people. So, uh, you know, he campaigned on increasing the minimum wage, renationalising the railways, uh, building half a million new council houses, and free uni uh, university tuition. And he said he'd pay for this by taxing uh, corporations and the rich. But I think what was important as well about the Corbyn phenomenon, at least during the 2017 election, was, you know, it wasn't just that he had good left-wing policies on paper. In that election campaign, uh, he organised rallies that attracted, you know, tens of thousands of supporters. Um, and it ha contributed to, um, you know, th this insurgent mood and, and a sense that his policies could be won. You know, sadly... Corbyn was, was undermined by a, a really vicious media onslaught and, um, you know, internal attacks from um, the right within the, the Labour Party. But I, I think the 2017 UK election, election showed that left-wing ideas um, can be popular. So I guess what, what's behind Labour's small target strategy um, at the moment? And I think it reflects Labor's focus on winning elections basically at any cost in order to get in, into government. And it comes at the expense of changing society, really. Because as a reformist party, Labor isn't trying to overthrow capitalism, um, but aims to reform the system by running the state. Um, and it means that Labor accepts um, the need to appease employers so they keep investing and, and keep um, economic growth going. And, and it really means that without significant pressure from below, um, you know, through protests and strikes, Labor is going to prioritise the needs of business. So, for example, Al Albanese defended Labor's new climate policy by saying it's, it's what business wants, even though it's even less ambitious than what the Business Council of Australia wants. But I think even under, we can see even under left-wing leadership that Labor parties are pulled to the right through their um, by prioritising elections to parliament and um, the need to keep business on side. So, at the 2019 UK election, Corbyn was was um, on the defensive against the right within his own party and uh, ran a much more conventional campaign than the 2017 election. You know, really trying to prove that that Labor was was responsible and could. Um, you know, responsible enough to take power, to take government. And, and Labor um, lost, lost votes, I think, because of it. Um, so Corbyn caved to pressure from the Labor right and business to commit to a second referendum on, on Brexit. Um, and it really allowed Boris Johnson to appeal to Brexit-supporting Labor voters um, with a clear message that, um, that he would get Brexit done. Um, and it resulted in a, a massive landslide for the for the Conservatives, they, they re reformed majority government. So part of the electoralism is that Labor parties try to appeal to all sections of society to gain as many votes as possible, and that means also conservative voters. You know, and I think that, that explains why Labor didn't oppose Morrison's religious discrimination bill, you know, fearing that, you know, they'd alienate, you know, the minority of, of homophobic and transphobic uh, voters. But I think, you know, as we saw in the 2001 election, I, the risk of that strategy is that it, 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 it could turn away, well, it does turn away progressive voters by failing to challenge these conservative 
policies, while at the same time, you know, conservative voters probably won't vote for Labor because they can vote for the Liberals anyway, who are even more conservative. And, and I suppose one of the worst parts about it is even if Labor wins, committing to almost no change and having a small target strategy means we're going to have a very conservative Labor government if they win. So I think we, we really want to push Labor to uh, represent the best parts of the Labor movement and its principles of solidarity and opposition to exploitation and, and oppression, you know, push the Greens to do that as well. Labor should stand on principle and try to win over more conservative workers of the need for progressive change by linking the need for um, change on issues like refugees and climate action to um, to policies that appeal to their class interests, like um, you know, boosting jobs, wages, and services. We, we argue that Labor should attack Morrison in the areas he's weakest on. You know, defending you know trans people supporting union dem demands for the 25% uh, increase for aged care workers. The pandemic has shown how terrible um, the situation is there and, you know, crucially pledging serious action on climate change and a, a just transition for fossil fuel workers. Um, but without, without really powerful union struggles and social movements putting those demands on Labor, Labor is pulled to the right by its electoralism um, that sees it chasing conservative votes and the competition uh, over who will be the best party to run the capitalist state. The small target is a result of Labor being under not enough pressure from below. And, and this has been worsened over the last couple of years by um, you know, union and, and left support for lockdowns, which has, has seen basically protests and strikes put on hold for the last two years. Because, yeah, what, what matters more than you know who, who wins the elections really although we're not indifferent to that is 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 the balance of class forces uh outside parliament and just to sort of finish i suppose we we did get a glimpse of that towards the end of the howard government um you know there were uh, massive anti-war protests in 2003 uh strikes and protests uh against work choices during the your rights at work campaign and, and also the, the refugee movement really pushed back Howard on his racism and his attacks on workers. And it did create the conditions for Labor to win a majority and Howard to lose his own seat in 2007. The government we got in 2007 with Kevin Rudd was, was not, um, not good enough. Um, it reflected the fact that, you know, the movements and the, the union campaign wasn't determined and strong enough to push for a, a complete reversal of, you know, Howard's, Howard's neoliberalism and racism, but it, it showed the, 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 the difference that struggle can make. So, yeah, just to conclude, I think we need more, more struggles in workplaces and on the streets to kick out Morrison, but, you know, we'll, we'll need to fight just as hard to win change um, if we, we're facing a, um, a conservative Labor government if Labor wins. Thanks.